Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Economist podcast where we discuss the weekly economics news and politics news from around the world. Um, you're joining me, Arash Lal, and my co-host, Avi Ruparadia. Um, and each week we invite a new student guest onto the podcast. If you'd like to be a student guest in the future, please fill out the form on our website. But for now, let's introduce um, this week's guest. Uh, today, we're delighted to invite, invite on again, Peter Shaw. Peter, thanks for joining us. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. No problem. Looking forward to today's uh, discussion. So to start off today, guys, um, what are your new stories of the week? Well, I think the big one uh, has to be Trump's impeachment. Uh, the only president ever to be impeached twice. Uh, it, and it has now passed the House. So he has been impeached just yesterday. And it will move on to the Senate, where they will there will be a trial, and they will decide whether or not to convict him. Uh, and there's all sorts of constitutional crises and things that have never happened before uh, that are happening right now. So the trial of Trump in the Senate will have to happen after he's left office, which is something that's never happened before. There's no precedent for. Um, which most people believe is constitutional, but some Republicans are going to disagree. Uh, there's also the matter of Trump pardoning himself, which again, divides legal experts. There's no precedent for it. It, it would quite possibly go to the Supreme Court and there would be some precedent set for the first time. Um, but either way, this is a massive deal, I think, it's very difficult to argue that what he did wasn't impeachable, um, but either, either way, it's gonna be a massively significant uh, historical event that uh, they will be looking back to. Um, and I personally um, believe he should be impeached. The significant part of it really is gonna be that if he's impeached, he could then be barred from running again uh, in 2024, which he's announced his intention to do. Um, but we don't know that whether he will or will not be convicted because the Democrats had a majority in the House and therefore could impeach him. But in the Senate, they'll need a supermajority of two thirds. So they'll need 17 Republicans to vote to convict Trump as well. So, it could go either way um, and that will have dramatic repercussions in terms of legal precedent, in terms of whether Trump can run again, uh, and in terms of you know, what America will look like and whether our discussions in the first part of you know, Biden's new administration is going to be on Biden's plans, Biden's dramatic you know, shift in policy, or whether it will still be talking about Trump and it will still be you know, totally distracted. Um, so I hope he can be impeached, but I also hope it won't take away from the dramatic uh, initiatives that will have to happen early on in the Biden administration. Thanks for that, Peter. Yeah, it's a really good point you make. And I think with the current, um, we've seen a partisan divide take hold of, America, of the United States recently. And I think, as you said, if 
um, the impeachment does go ahead. What the last thing the country really needs is for its repercussions to continue into the Biden, um, the Biden era. Uh, so that firstly, well, we continue to see such a divide. And secondly, um, Trump's influence perhaps continues in, in, in that way. Um, and potentially the United States need, needs a departure into a new kind of a democratic Republican sort of um, uh, reunification almost, um, and rather than the current split that we have in the United States at the moment. Um, so thanks for that, Peter. And Avi, what's your new story of the week? Well, mine's also uh, quite current and a um, bit, bit less political, but I'm going to talk about a bit about Bitcoin. And we haven't seen this Bitcoin's at the highest valuation ever, something like $34,000 per Bitcoin. And why this is significant is you've seen a sort of shift in rhetoric from um, Bitcoin used to be this currency that was only traded, only held by uh, general people, you and I. But you're seeing this shift from, uh, from people to companies where some banks and other places are taking on cryptocurrencies as a whole. So it's almost a new revolution in the way we pay and the way we spend money. And we're seeing funny stories. Well, they're not exactly funny for the, if you are the person, but uh, you're seeing stories come out like uh, someone's uh, lost a hard drive because Bitcoins are, st are stored on a hard drive or a USB stick. And lost the hard drive and they have something like 18,000 Bitcoin when they're worth just something like a hundred, uh, uh, something like $10 each. So, uh, and, and they've lost a uh, stupid amount of money, but the, it's, it's interesting to also see that Bitcoin is turning into this almost safe haven currency alongside the Swiss franc as well as the, the yen. Whether it's sustainable is a different question. And it's interesting to see whether central banks and um, uh, regulatory bodies like the FCA, the PRA, um, start regulating these currencies so that they can be more widely used when we, when we go to the supermarket or anything. We've got a long way to go before currency becomes digital and more globalized but we're starting to get there and we're seeing technology sort of dominate this sort of market now and we've seen the growth of Robinhood I don't know if you've known in America there's a company called Robinhood and uh, they're they're almost like a stockbroker and but they allow you to buy partial shares so that's what makes them sort of different from everything out there but this growth in cryptocurrencies and bitcoin in particular i i can see it going on for a long time my only issue is in 2017 we saw it peak out at twenty two thousand dollars. it's peaked out at 30 it's thirty four thousand at the moment and whether it crashes again like it did and it stayed flat for two and a half years and it did absolutely nothing and it went down to nearly $4,000. You could see a lot of people lose a lot of money very quickly, but it's, 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 it's the new technology and the whole blockchain technology and everything that's driving this sort of new market that's more interesting than the actual cryptocurrencies themselves.
Thanks for that, Afi. Really um, interesting news stories there, guys. Uh, and now we're going to move on to our first question. Um, and it's regarding the UK economy as we've entered into lockdown 3.0. Do you feel that we're going to see a double dip recession? Well, I, I just don't see how it can really be avoided. I, I think we are. I, I'm not going to say too much about this, but um, coronavirus cases have already you know, reached levels higher than the peak of the first lockdown. And so, and, and that caused us to go into a very dramatic recession. So I, I just don't see how we're not going to have a double dip recession, how we're not going to you know, slip back um, but I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts and you're probably more, um, more slightly more qualified than me um, if you think there are any ways that we'd avoid it. So I, I was going to say, and this idea of a double dip recession has come about from many news sources, but were we even out of the first recession? I, I know we, we saw negative 20.4% in April last year. Like there, there are retailers going bust left, right, and center. The big one being Arcade, the Arcadia Group, which is in talks with Next to be bought out. Whether that happens or not is a different question. But this idea of a double dip recession, it may be a um, the shape of the of the growth curve may be a W. However, we 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 haven't come out of the recession for for enough for it to be classed as a double dip because we haven't uh, come up above the, the the trend growth rate so yeah it's sort of inevitable this could be a very long recession as well and we we still don't know brexit brexit implications we don't know what's uh, everything's gone quiet because of lockdown and we're really not going to see anything till maybe uh, Q2, Q3, 2021, and Rishi Sunak yesterday saying things are going to get worse before they get better. So it, it's quite a bleak outlook, unfortunately. Yeah, some interesting um, perspectives there, guys. Uh, I I probably take the position that uh, that a second uh, that a double dip recession seems inevitable um, with. Obviously, the, the contraction on, of economic activity at the moment, um, there are a number of consultancies and, and think, think tanks um, such as Oxford Economics, um, which who, who predicted a, um, a gross domestic product contraction by 4% in the first three months of 2021. Um, so it does seem potentially inevitable that we will slip into a double dip recession. However, I, I think that it's also important to, to observe what could actually happen next. Um, and actually, it can be seen that businesses and households are in a better position this time around um, than they were in the, previous, um, in the previous lockdown, in the previous recession, which we saw last year. Um, although they're, they're obviously, obviously dealing with, say, um, less open hours and that, you know, all the strains of COVID economic consequences, um, there are, however, government support schemes which are up and running. Uh, the Chancellor has announced a 4.6 billion, um, has deployed 4.6 billion pounds of extra funding for business grants, uh, on top of 280 billion in emergency spending for the public sector. Um, 
so this does sort of indicate a sense of hope, maybe. Um, but I do think that there were other sort of gaps in the system already. Uh, these include the looming end of the week, uh, end of the £20 a week uplift and universal credit benefits. Um, un unemployment is sort of escalating towards 2.6 million, threatening poverty for thousands. So I think more, more importantly than sort of looking at whether we'll see a, a double dip recession or not, I think it's really important to see how we can recover from this, um, from the, the economic um, negative growth of this lockdown. Um, because we saw last time that when cases began to go down, uh, the government certainly did have some schemes up its sleeve in, in, in the form of eat-out to help out. Um, but it could be argued that that helped um, lead to the rise in, in cases that we, we've seen in the autumn and winter. So the government certainly does need to um, find the right schemes to, to help people move away um, uh, from this lockdown. I think that's the really important thing um, to focus on, personally. Um, but do you feel that a rate cut is necessary? Well, this is an interesting one. And um, you've seen Japan do it. You've seen other countries do it. And everyone's questioned whether it would be viable in a consumer spending economy like the UK. The idea of negative rates is that the banks essentially will pay you uh to to borrow to borrow money but there's always a markup on uh on uh, loans etc that banks do so the interesting thing with negative rates is no one really knows what it's going to hold and it's the sort of uncertainty that people are, are worried about and in in um people who are investors will know well that the stock market is good for the stock market, but if you're in bonds, it's not very good because prices rise, yields go down. Yeah, to yeah. clarify, I'm talking about interest uh, rates. <laughs> thanks, 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 Abby. Um, yeah, that's that's a, a good point you make there. And I think though that um, with interest rates already sitting at a, a pretty low level um, at the moment, I, I, I do feel that um, a further cut, obviously, as you hinted at there, could be particularly, um, could, could be a little bit risky, could be a little um, dangerous and potentially indicates pushing monetary policy um, in, in a direction where it, it, it doesn't really want to go uh, in, in the sense that um, negative interest rates isn't really a, um, a territory that the government wants to go in for, for too long, uh, potentially. They could they could move for more of a a more of a fiscal stimulus as as I spoke about before. There um, there have been a number of fiscal stimuli um, which can kind of boost boost the economy uh, in that way. And also we know the supply side implications of a fiscal stimulus, um, which could help the economy to grow in the long run. Um, so that could be a more uh, viable policy. So more government spending policies. Um, but any more thoughts on that? Well, they could go down the, the fiscal route, but I find that 
I can't see this Conservative government borrowing more before starting to raise taxes or of some kind. And I think you'll see that potentially in the next March budget. It's not going to be the good news that this Conservative Party seems to enjoy giving. However, keep the same rhetoric when it's bad news. They'll give bad news with a uh, juxtaposed with good news. So, um, but could we see, and I'm just putting this out here, um, QE to the levels of almost America and even what the EU are doing, because we're significantly lower. Okay, we're a significantly smaller economy than both of them, but we could, we're, we're, it's, it's unprecedented times and it calls for, calls for unprecedented action. So QE could be an option. It definitely could be. Um, it's a really interesting option there, and I think we've done well to talk about some of the um, some of the options uh, available to the government in its um, sort of pandemic recovery. But moving now across the Atlantic to to the US um, now, Pete has given us a great introduction to this already, but we can perhaps explore this further now. Um, we're seeing, obviously, we're entering the into the final days of President Trump's um, time as as a time in the White House. Um, and what would you argue his overall legacy has been? Well, as a as a both a politics and a history student, I've been fascinated by this question of late. Um, and so I, I would love to talk about uh, how I see things. Uh, and that is, I think Trump will be seen as a symptom of America's problems right now, rather than the cause. You know, his, his appeal, his image was of an independent businessman, an outsider who was going to come in and uh, put an end to the two parties squabbling, uh, similar to when Ross Perot ran in 1992. Because when he ran, he was running as a, a Republican in name only. You know, he was not a traditional party figure. And American voters were fed up with the gridlock and dysfunction of having a presidential two-party system without the unifying enemy that had been so useful throughout the Cold War. And so they, they looked to this figure and they placed all their hopes that he would somehow sort it out. And uh, that clearly hasn't happened. But of course, the focus when we look back in the future is going to be on how it all ended. And that is with Trump telling a mob of his supporters that they have to show strength, that they have to keep fighting, uh, that the press are the enemy of the people, uh, that he won the election, which a majority of Republicans believe, um, and the mob then storming the Capitol. Um, and when we think about this, I think it's important to remember that it could have been a lot more than five deaths. If the mob had found the representatives and the senators they were looking for, you know, it could have been a lot worse than it was. And there's still the potential for far greater violence on the 20th of January, which is Joe Biden's inauguration. And so I think really we're at a, a crossroads for the Republican Party and for America, where their leader would probably become president for life if he could, uh, but they have to, they have to move away from him. 
they have to you know go return to sort of the democratic norms that for a very long time they played along with and so it's deeply concerning but i think i think they will because there is simply no future for the republican party if they stick with trump you know if he ran again in 2024 whether he'll be able to or not is of course uh, will rely on whether or not he's impeached and convicted he's been he's been impeached already of course um, but if he did run in 2024 he probably wouldn't win you know america the battle lines really have been drawn and tr trump supporters are a minority you know, they they did lose this election you know and it wasn't even that close um so trump's legacy really is going to be of a symptom as a symptom of a very very divided america where disinformation has created you know different worlds um and i think we focus a lot of the time on you know what ridiculous thing trump said or what you know it being almost funny but when historians look back the focus is going to be on you know how this distracted us from you know other issues like china's rise on the world stage um, and growing inequality growing national debt and u.s deficit um and i just i struggle to think that this is going to be looked back on positively <laughs> um but perhaps something will come of it as i said with trump being a symptom of the many problems which America faces and which hopefully Biden will begin to address. Of course, I could talk about, you know, some of the things Trump's done. You know, he's had a significant impact um, on the judiciary, appointing three new judges to the Supreme Court, 53 to the federal appeals courts, um, slashing environmental regulation, um, reducing immigration, uh, introducing protectionist trade policies, um, for the first time, you know, in a in a very long um, length of American history, he's really gone against the grain with going back to that sort of protectionism, um, with his uh, his tax cuts as well, um, and his unbelievably erratic foreign policy, which has sort of destroyed confidence. But ultimately, when historians look back, as I said, that's not what they're going to remember. It's not going to be those those policies. It's going to be you know, what he did to U.S. democracy, and what he was a symptom of the wider shifts for America. Um, and so I can only say I hope and I do believe that the Biden administration will be a significant step in the right direction, and I think things will get better. Um, and that's that's all I have to say. So great account you give there, Peter. Um, if I can just, you know, just just add a, li a little bit to that, you know, I think it was really insightful how you said that he's the symptom um, of, of America's problems at, at, at the moment. And just want, I just wanted to have a look at how um, how sort of much the uh, Republican Party has kind of lost in the latest election. Um, so, for example, defeat in Georgia means that the party's lost a lot of what it uh, gained in the 2016 election. Uh, the last time that that this really sort of happened to the Republicans, um, where it sort of where it won the white they won the White House and retained majorities in, in Congress uh, was back in 1892, um, 
when Benjamin Harrison uh, was defeated. So normally when the political, when a political party and, and when the Republicans and, and, and the Democrats in, in the US, when they've lost in the past, sort of lose elections, they do tend to learn lessons from them um, and attempt to come back stronger. Um, but such a reinvention, I think, and such a comeback and, and uh, a potential sort of change in the party's dynamics, I think that's really going to be quite difficult um, due to Trump's legacy. Um, with many um, major figures in the Republican Party at the moment, um, for example, such as Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, um, sort of relying on, having relied on Trump in the past for their positions, there is that um, sort of system of of patronage potentially in in the Republican Party at the moment, which means that um, reform could be less likely, but hope, and that's the the hope that a, a country like the United States with its sort of rich democratic traditions um, after an event like we saw at the Capitol uh, last week. But the hope is that it, that will be viewed as an anti-democratic stunt um, and potentially many Republican voters might actually view that and, and, and rather than adhering to, the, to their current support of, of Donald Trump, potentially could, te- could they turn their backs on him um, could they turn their backs on him for good? And I think that that movement away from Trump and 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 away from a potential defense of him uh, and his regime could be pivotal here um, if the Republican Party is going to be able to um, move on and, um, and 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 come back in four years' time um, from from its losses this time around. Uh, Abby, anything anything to add? Yeah, just just a very very small point. Uh, we we struggle to find things that Trump has done good. He, I know, I he is his claim to fame, and uh, he did build the best economy America had had in quite a few year, uh, in in quite a few years, and definitely since two thousand eight financial crisis, potentially since uh, since all the wars. So it's. That's, that's one thing you can bring up, but this is something he's done inadvertently, and you two picked up on this exact point. Trump has brought the bad things to the front of the queue. He didn't want to deal with them, inequality, deficit, etc. Biden has to, and he's going to have to take some very, very tricky decisions. He's lucky he's got a full, um, he's, he has control of the House and he has control of the Senate. Things could change in the midterm elections, but it's um, Biden's going to have to sort a lot of Trump's mess. And whether this four years is going to be essentially cleaning up Trump's mess for Trump to come back in in 2024 and um, potentially when you never know. Um, lightning could strike twice again. Um, uh, in 2024, potentially winning, and he remakes that mess. Um, but that's 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 my view of it, and uh, I, th- I think we've got we're, we're moving on. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's that's the plan. Um, it's a great point of discussion, guys. The United States at the moment, but um, unfortunately, we're going to move on to our well. Actually, it's a good thing that we'll, we'll move on to our final question um, about stock markets. So, as we enter into a new into a new year, what stock markets do you feel will be the ones to watch? Well, for me, um, 
Europe, Europe, Europe is uh, still got a lot of problems. Europe, including the UK, um, with just politically, it's quite problematic. So is America, but America is America. They have so many investors that their stock market is quite bullish at the moment. Um, we're looking at the S and P five hundred to peak at 4,200 and between 4,070 and 4,200 by March. And this this uh, index has averaged 10% growth year on year. And it's doing last year, it had, it crashed by nearly 30, 40%. And it still managed to grow the year to date, something like 15%. So America's another place. But the one I, 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 I sort of allude to is, um, the Far East, uh, the likes of Japan, who's coming out of a recession. They've got a new, um, they've got a new prime minister, um, and and also China and some of these other indices. Less so Hong Kong, because that's also got quite a bit of political turmoil over there uh, with the the national security law. But there's there's um, the East is looking a, a very good investment opportunity, if I might add, because they've dealt with this virus so well. We said, did we not say this at the start of, um, when was it? When did we start this? June, right? And um, we said the key to the economy, stock markets, the whole thing, you control the virus, you, can, you have a good economy, a strong, robust economy. If you let the virus run loose, as we have done here. We're looking at a double dip recession, as as exactly we are now. So, uh, Peter, I don't know if you want to add anything, but that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with all of that. Uh, although I I point out, of course, that um, in a lot of these countries like China, that are you know rapidly emerging economies, the that very rapid growth is already factored into the sort of price of these stocks and so it's not necessarily an um, easy easy win um i would probably just say the us is um you know the stock market is actually back on the up with uh, biden's announcement of a um, massive stimulus package that couldn't get through um under trump uh, but almost certainly would with the new administration. Um, and I think around the world, as the vaccine rolls out, we will see economies start to recover. And so perhaps now is, uh, you know, is a good time to be investing in a lot of the, a lot of the places you mentioned. Uh, yeah, th thanks for that, guys. Um, so I, I think it's a really interesting time, I perceive, for stock markets at the moment. Uh, we tend to focus a lot on, on tech tech companies and, and stocks linked to tech companies, but I think it's also important, actually, to look at the hospitality sector at the moment. Um, so stocks such as Hilton Worldwide Holdings have actually been um, uh, predicted to, if we see a post-COVID recovery, um, a, potential, a potential sort of surge in 2021, um, with obviously the uh, idea that um, if, if we see a, um, a recovery, then obviously demand will will surge this year. So there is the potential for, I think, um, that there is a big potential this year for, for hospitality stocks as well. But um, that's unfortunately all we've got time for today. Um, it's been great having a uh, discussion back with you guys today. Thanks, Peter, for, for coming on. It was 
Um, a real pleasure to have you back and hear your views. Um, and thanks to my co-host, Avi, as well, um, for making a, a great discussion today. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to be a guest in the future, please do head over to the website. Uh, thank you and bye.